Good morning, everybody. That was pretty strong. Yeah. Last night, my, uh, my wife, who's out of town, texted me, I'm praying for you. This morning, she texted me, I'm praying for you. I got here to the church this morning. I was walking in. I made fun of a couple guys that were, had the same shirt on. And, and they laughed and said, we were just praying for you. <laughs> That's a great comeback, right? <laughs> I, I, come, I come up front and Andrew says, can I pray for you? And then I sit down and, and then Garth and Christy come and sit in my row. They, and Garth says, we came here to pray for you. I guess I need prayer today. <laughs> and I think we need prayer today. Um, I feel like this, is, uh, this, this message started with prayer when, uh, when Andrew was uh, just shared in our elder meeting. He's like, everybody I talk to is hurting, like stress and burnout and depression. And then Ben said, well, me too. And then other elders like, yeah, me too. And uh, we thought it was the right time for us to, to not completely stop talking about the mess that God loves, which is what we've been studying, but to, to um, move over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which is not where we're going to start today, but to continue this theme, the mess that God loves. I guess that the, the core message today is, I am the mess that God loves loves right and so we're going to look at that together by by uh, looking at the life of paul but it might be appropriate for us together to pray before we start right let's would you pray with me would you pray for me pray that god would move uh, among us and touch each of us the way we need to be touched let's pray together We are amazed this day, Lord, at your love, at your grace, your power to help us, your, your goodness. And together as a family this morning, we just want to ask that you would uh, speak to us through your word, that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would fill this building, that uh, your spirit would fill every home where people are watching right now. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. We ask, Lord, that it will be your presence and only your presence that will fill this place today. We pray this together in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 9, actually. We're just going to get a little context. We're going to be looking at the life of Paul and Timothy uh, we're going to be looking at their struggles and how they looked at it. But uh, Acts chapter 9, I think, sends, sets a uh, backdrop for this that is really powerful and important for us. Um, Acts chapter 9 is on page 917 in your pew Bible, if you want to use one of those Bibles that you have in front of us. Uh, it's a pretty crazy story. This guy named Saul... At the time, later, his, name, his, Paul, his Paul was named to change. How's that? His name was changed to Paul um, later. And he was a zealous Jewish leader. And so zealous that he was persecuting Christians. Um, he even stood over uh, whole, uh, watching the coats while, while Stephen was being stoned. 
a few chapters earlier. The chapter begins like this, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's the followers of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was on a hunt to find Christians and to bring them and imprison them. Unbelievable. Uh, God had different plans. Look at verse 3, Acts 9, 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. What an encounter. Paul is there looking for Christians to persecute, and Jesus shows up with a bright light and speaks to him. God had plans for Saul, who would become Paul, that were unbelievable. He would... God would use him to change the course of history dramatically as he used him to bring the gospel to the known world at the time. Three days he was without sight. He did not eat or drink for those three days. And he received a vision, and a guy named Ananias, a follower of Jesus, received a vision that Ananias was going to show up and lay his hands on Saul and he would be healed. He'd re regain his sight. Ananias wasn't thrilled about this. He says, I've heard about how evil this guy is. You want me to go there? This is what God says. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, non-Jews, and kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Before Paul even understood the gospel, before he preached the name of Jesus to anybody, God told him, you are going to suffer a lot for my name. This text has really messed with me for years. So that's, that's weird to me. Like, really? Suffering is, the, is a path that God determines that he wants in certain cases? Wow, that's pretty crazy. When we move on to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we start to understand. And the apostle begins to explain the suffering in his life, in the life of Timothy, and begins to share why this is so important. We're not going to look at a huge, a whole theology of suffering today. We're going to get glimpses of it. But we're going to look at a very personal text, which I believe is going to be very personal for all of us. The book begins, uh, this is 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, page 964. Um, in, the, in the Pew Bibles. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole, the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to see as we go through this, it's written in the plural. These first 14 verses are written in the plural. It's Paul and Timothy that are writing this. And so these things that Paul is writing about himself are things that he and Timothy uh, include, uh, live together, experience. The suffering that they went through in Asia that he's going to talk about is something that Timothy also experienced. About half of the book of 2 Corinthians was written in the plural, Paul and Timothy. About half of the book was written in the singular, Paul talking about himself and his words and his suffering. And suffering is something that runs through the book, and we're going to get a glimpse of that this morning. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul begins this, Paul and Timothy begin this, this book by talking about comfort. Ten times in this first paragraph that we're going to look at, we have the word comfort. And we see that it's not just Paul and Timothy that are suffering, it's the Corinthian church as well. Uh, Andrew's explained to us, they, uh, Corinth was an evil city, right? People went there because of temple prostitution and pagan rituals, idolatry. It was an evil and influential city. And these Christians lived there and they were persecuted for their faith. They were a mess. We, we are seeing that as we study 1 Corinthians. They were a mess. Good news is we're going to see that here um, in a few minutes, that they, they were growing. When we, when we come to 2 Corinthians, which is the third or fourth letter, at least, that, that Paul wrote to them, they, they were growing. And that conflict and stuff that we read about in 1 Corinthians, we don't see in this book, which is really amazing. They still had some str uh, struggles with sexuality, sensuality. Paul talks about that at the very end of the book. But they were growing, which is just beautiful. It's amazing. And they were suffering. And Paul and Timothy want the Corinthians to know our suffering is not in vain. Our suffering has a purpose. Look at how he starts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in 
any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We see clearly throughout this, this paragraph, God is a God who comforts. And he desires to comfort his people. This is the first main thing we see in this text. God is a God of comfort. And he even uses the suffering, sufferings that we go through to help other people be comforted. And we see that, that woven through this, this paragraph. But you know what strikes me here in verses 3 and 4? is the words all, all, and any. All, all, and any. Do you see that? The Lord Jesus, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. I never saw that before. I've read this many times, but I was studying it. I'm like, all, all, any. God wants to comfort us in all of our afflictions. I was thinking about the, the suffering that I've gone through in my life, that the people close to me have gone through in my life. People at Park Community, the suffering that people are going through. I made a quick list. I'm just going to read a few of them. Anxiety. Anxiety. I've, I'd say I've never seen so much anxiety in America, never seen so much anxiety in the church as I have in the last few years. Never. Anxiety is, is at a high level. People have anxiety about their jobs, their relationships, finances, right? This is that, a season where uh, we have hyperinflation and all kinds of problems. At least we did. Now it's leveled off, right? People worry about the future. Uh, parents that are present, you worry about your kids, right? Grandparents. I'm a, grand, I'm a grandpa. Wor worry about my grandkids. There's just so much anxiety. This is part, this is one of the ways that people suffer. Stress. Burnout. I know what it's like to live in burnout and in and out of burnout for years and to feel stuck in it. It's awful. Trust me, it's awful. It's difficult. Depression. I'm not an expert on, on depression and I'm not qualified to, to talk as an expert on depression. But I've been depressed. I've been depressed. And it's, it's ugly. And I, I walked with my wife. She's very open about the depressions that she's been through and has helped many, many people that are depressed as well. I remember her talking about feeling like she's in the darkness. And it just won't lift. It's a weight of darkness. And many people deal with this kind of darkness. Loss. Today is a day of remembering, isn't it? This weekend, we are remembering. And many, many among us have had very serious loss. Loss of a parent. Loss of a spouse. And maybe the most difficult, a loss of a child. These are deep, deep things. One of my really good friends years ago lost his son. His son was about 
five years old, 11, he was a sweet little child in a car accident. Grandpa was driving, and, the, and he lost his son. And years later, he told me, I think about him every day. That is deep, deep loss. Loneliness, doubts, caring for sick loved ones. For some people, it's years and years of caring for sick loved ones. For some, it's cancer. It's serious illness. And one of the worst is chronic illness. If you know someone that's going through chronic illness, it is tough, tough sledding. And God says to us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. If you are suffering deeply, you are not alone. God is with you. He has not abandoned you. He desires to comfort you. You might not feel that. Many people that go through deep darkness feel like God has abandoned them. So many people. God says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God never abandons us. He is there to comfort us. Sometimes it feels, sometimes for a long time, it feels like it's never going to end. It will end. We're going to talk about that in a second. But God cares. He is present in all, all of our situations, all of our afflictions. Verse 4. Verse 5, sorry. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What I love about Paul and Timothy here is they're saying our, our suffering is not just for us. And our comfort is not just for us. It's for others. Corinthians, you're going to be comforted because you see our suffering and see the comfort that we have and that encourages you that in the most difficult situations, God is present. And so Paul says, there's meaning. There's meaning to our suffering. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul and Timothy want the Corinthians to know, keep going, don't give up, patiently endure. God is present. God is present, keep going. We know that you're suffering. You're suffering like we do. Don't give up. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. God cares. God is present and he desires to help us in our suffering. 
the next, in the next paragraph, we see some of the suffering and the depth that it hit Paul and Timothy. Verse 8. For we, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So Asia is a weird word in the Bible. It uh, makes us think of the Orient, of the East, right? But Asia in the Bible is actually the extreme west of Turkey. So if you look in, uh, in Revelation chapter 3 and 4, where, where, Paul, uh, where Jesus is speaking to the seven churches, it's those churches that are in Asia. Ephesus was the, was the main city, and then these circles, that, that go, the, these cities that go around it in a circle, these were the cities of Asia. So we don't know what happened to Paul and Timothy in Asia. Something terrible happened to them, and nobody really knows exactly what it was. It's very possible that the, the Corinthians knew that they had heard about it, most likely. But look what ha how they felt about this suffering that they went through. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This is very serious suffering that they were going through. This idea of a utterly burdened is being burdened by a, like a heavy, by a heavy weight is the idea of it. And we know what that feels. If you've been through deep suffering, you know what it's like to have a heavy weight upon you. It was beyond their strength. They despaired of life. It carries the idea of being stuck. There's no way out. It is absolute despair. This is what these guys were feeling. This is what they were experiencing. It was deep. It was dark. It was heavy for them. It was a heavy weight. Paul I'm not going to read all the texts, but as we go through this book of 2 Corinthians, we see that, that Paul himself went through so much. And I just wrote down some of the lowlights, I guess you would call it. These are some of the things that he went through. Imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times he was whipped, 39 times. Three times he was beaten by rods. One time he was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was in dangers from rivers, in, in rivers and robbers. He had many a sleepless night. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was in cold and exposure to the cold. He says beyond that is the daily pressure of anxiety for all the churches. And then in the end of the book, he talks about the thorns in the flesh. The famous thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. I'm guessing it was physical because the word flesh here is the same word used in Greek for body, right? So a chronic illness that was given to him for a purpose. Do you remember what the purpose was? To keep him humble. He saw it as a gift from God to keep him humble because of the extraordinary visions that he received. Paul lived, I believe, probably chronic illness. Maybe until his death. I don't know. This guy suffered, and he suffered, and he suffered in his life. 
And we saw in Acts 9 that it was for the name of Christ. It was for God's glory. And we see it. We look at the Bible and we see what Paul went through, what Timothy went through with him, and we go, yeah, we learn from that. We see that God is with people even in the midst of suffering. We see that it's worth suffering for the name of Christ. We don't do that much in America, do we? We have it easy in that sense. Uh, We don't generally suffer so much for the name of Christ like these guys did. And that means a lot to me. That teaches me as well. When I look at my own life, I think, hmm, maybe it's not quite as bad (laughs) as I think, right? Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. I love this in Paul. He has this in other letters. And the idea that he tends to share is, God keeps delivering me. And in, the, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I'm about to die, and I know that God's going to deliver me, but it might be deliver me to heaven, <laughs> all right? How, is how he, he ends his book, right? His letter to Timothy. Um, God is a God who delivers in his time, in his way. He is in control On him we have set our hope. Our hope is in God. We're going to return to that in a little bit. That he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. That he will deliver us again. And so there is deep suffering. There is suffering deeply. And my conclusion in all of this is, you have it on the screen, life is right? Life is tough. You live a few years on this, on this planet and you realize life is tough. But for us who have Christ, life, suffering has meaning. It has meaning. The suffering that we go through can help others. Sometimes it takes Maybe decades for you to see that. Sometimes you never see it. Maybe people are watching you and watching how you suffer and watching how God comforts you and they learn from that and they're encouraged by that but they never say anything about it. God knows. God knows. And he has a purpose in our suffering. Verse 11 ends this section with a really beautiful statement from from Timothy and Paul. You, Corinthians, must you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul and Timothy are asking them to pray. Right? Asking them to pray. We need your prayers. And we want you to be grateful on our behalf. Isn't that crazy? Grateful that God is present with them in the midst of suffering. 
brothers and sisters, if you're one of the people that's not suffering, we are happy for all three or four of you <laughs> right now. <laughs> and, and that's good. That's God's gift to you. But you are in a place where you can be praying for others, where you can be asking people, how are you doing? When you sense somebody's down, go to them. How, what's going on? What's going on in your life? And be available to help them. And those of us that are suffering, we can, we can pray too for each other. We need to pray for each other. I love that they didn't just depend on the Lord, although they did depend on the Lord, but they depended on the body as well. They're praying for the Corinthians, and the Corinthians are praying for them. I love that. I skipped a phrase right in the middle of that uh, sentence. We're gonna, I just want to mention it quickly, but we're going to come back to it at the end as well. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. When we are suffering, when we are in the darkness, we still hold on to Jesus. One of the things I, that I didn't want to do and I don't want to do with this is I don't want to uh, just throw out trite kinds of sayings. I've, I've walked with people in the darkness. I've, I've seen how hard it is. I've, I've listened to people that I love and care for deeply talk about how hard it is to trust in the middle of pain and suffering. And I respect that. I honor that. And it breaks my heart. It truly does. It breaks my heart. And so I don't want to use this phrase as a club to you, on you. And God doesn't either. I really believe he doesn't. I believe what he wants is for you to know that he is the God of all comfort and he desires to comfort you. Run to him. Hold on to him. Keep depending on him. Try your best to trust that what he's doing is for your good and for his glory and for the good of others. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Keep trusting. And when you can't, be honest about it. Ask for prayer. And those of us that hear that, don't, don't use any of this as a club on people. Say, it's okay. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I will pray for you. And stop at that moment and pray for them. This was really clear to me many years ago. A really good friend of mine and I were, we were missionaries in Brazil together with our families, and we, um, we were asked to teach a group of missionaries on teaching dynamics and different ways to teach. And uh, so we taught about music and, and uh, different kinds of ways to, to present uh, truths of the scriptures and, and one was the power of story 
you know, invited a woman, a woman, a lady missionary named Christina. Uh, she's a German woman. And to come and share her story of losing her uh, small child to meningitis. After they moved to Brazil, their child, they had a child, and the child got meningitis and died. And we asked her to tell her story. And she, this is years after. So she had gone through the healing process, although I'm sure it was still, I know the wounds came up for her. But this is what she told these pastors and missionaries. She said, when I was going through it, people kept coming to me saying, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. She said, that was like a knife in a wound for me. She said, that verse is absolutely true, but it has to be spoken at the right time. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. My tendency is to want to fix people right away. <laughs> that's, that's my tendency. And you know what? When people are in deep pain, trite expressions or the wrong verse at the wrong time, uh, the right verse at the wrong time, is a better way of saying it, can be uh, hurtful to people. So in this, sometimes we need to be like the beginning of the book of Job when Job's friends just sat and were with Job. So I'm trying to learn that. But we need to, that's something that we really need to pay attention to. And so we are in this together, right? We're in, in this together as a body, loving each other, being patient, and caring for each other, praying for one another together. We're going to go quickly through the last section. Verse 12 to 14. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our, of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us, and we will boast of you. Timothy and Paul lived simple lives. They, they lived sincere lives of seeking God and, and seeking godliness. And they lived under the grace of God. Paul, when he received the thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, he prayed three times that God would take it away. Do you remember what God said to him three times? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient sufficient and they lived by the grace of God asking for God's grace to be present upon them at all times and then they they end this paragraph by saying when the day of the Lord comes that's Bible code for the end of all things right when the end comes 
I'm going to boast about you, and you're going to boast about us. We're going to boast about you, and you're going to boast about us. It's a picture of the future celebration when there is no more pain, when there is no more tears, when there is no more death, where there is no more loss. We're going to boast about each other and how God was with us and how God helped us through the things that we went through. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so we set our hope on him. And we look to that day, that, that day in the future when everything will be made right. And we will, as we sang, we will see Jesus face to face. No more illness. No more suffering. Wow, what a day that will be. As we move to communion, I want to uh, share one more piece on the whole idea of suffering. And that is the question, and what about when we feel like we're suffering because of sin in our lives? Here's reality. We suffer because of sin, all right? We suffer because of sin in the world, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, there was, there was a curse on the earth. We have floods, we have hurricanes, we have tornadoes, we have disease, we have all these things. It's sin that is in the world, right? But we also suffer sometimes because of the sins of others close to us and because of our sin. It's oftentimes so hard to know. We, we know that the Bible says that God is not mocked. You reap what you sow, right? God disciplines those who he loves. I love that the word loves is in there, right? Because God disciplines those he loves. But as I look at the New Testament, I'm totally honest here, I see very little of that. I see very little of discipline in, in the New Testament. I see it a lot in the Old Testament, but I see very little of it in the New Testament. What I see a lot in the New Testament is grace. I see a lot of grace. I see a lot of God helping us fight sin, right? I see a lot of God just loving us. I see that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I see the Spirit, well, the Father, Son, and Spirit working together to help us fight our battles. I see God being present with those that are suffering. Yes, there's a few cases, but for the most part, what we have is a gracious God who is helping us. That's what I see. As a young person, I heard many times, over and over, Isaiah 59 to, your sins have made a separation between you and your God. Many of us grew up hearing that over and over, right? That is not a New Testament concept for Christians. 
That is an Old Testament concept. In the New Covenant, in Christ, there is no separation anymore. It's gone. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. We are united with him. I will never leave you or forsake you. He is with us. For so many years of my life, and I'm still tempted by it, and I still fall into it. When I sin, and I realize that I sin, I often feel like, oh, that's it. God's going to put me in a corner for a while. Right? I'm going to have to earn my, my way back to his presence. I'm going to have to do something to get his favor again. This is law. This is Old Testament law. This is not New Testament grace in Christ. God is with us. He is in us. And I love that. And there is always grace. There is always forgiveness for the sons and daughters of Christ. As we take communion, I want us to think about that and be grateful. And Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. For the first time ever, I stopped and looked at that and realized Jesus, when he looked at the symbol of his death, the bread, he gave thanks. He was grateful for God's work through the cross. Isn't that amazing? Today, we need to celebrate that the work of Christ is complete in our lives. It is complete. He has done the work. We are forgiven, and he goes on to say that. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Wow, forgiveness of sins. Today we celebrate that we are in Christ and that he is with us. So as the band comes up, the worship team, is that better? The worship team comes up. Uh, I invite you, where you are, to rip off the little top of that little thing, make all the noise of the plastic together, and for us to celebrate God's presence, celebrate the forgiveness of Christ, and celebrate that he is with us and that, he has, that his work is complete. Let's worship together.